You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Luke. Here's Nate. Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we move from the promises of the angel Gabriel and really from God himself to Zechariah and Elizabeth concerning the future birth of their son, John, who would become John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, coming in the spirit and in the power of Elijah and fulfilling so many of those prophecies concerning the return of Elijah, especially there in Malachi chapter 4. We move from that to the promise of Gabriel to the mother of Jesus, a young woman named Mary. It says on the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so we get again from Luke a time marker in verse 26 telling us that it happened in the sixth month. Now, if you back up into verse 25, you discover that this is uh, detailing the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, verse 24 uh, and 25. And so the same angel, Gabriel, is sent, and he often brings this good uh, news uh, there uh, earlier in the chapter to Zechariah, uh, today here uh, to Mary, and previously in Daniel chapter 8 and in Daniel chapter 9, he twice went to the prophet uh, Daniel. And so a great responsibility in setting up the scene for the birth of the Son of God, Gabriel the angel, comes to this young woman named Mary. Now it says there in verse 27 that she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And basically, betrothal was not yet a full marriage, but uh, in their culture, much more binding than our modern uh, engagement process. Uh, so basically, the uh, marriage might have been arranged even from an early age. They would have, if, 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 as children, potentially have been engaged. But about a year before they actually came together in full marriage together, they became betrothed, and to break a betrothal would actually require, uh, in that era, a certificate of uh, divorce. And so uh, the guesses as to how old Mary was at this time, this young virgin girl, uh, anywhere from uh, 15 to 20 uh, years uh, of age. And so uh, he goes to this young woman and says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled at this saying and tried to discern uh, what it was that was being said uh, by Gabriel to her. And the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Just a beautiful thing here. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And of course, Mary, as you look upon her life, she had the wonderful favor of God upon uh, her life. Uh, and the thing about this favor, of course, in her life is that 
it would lead to great difficulty within her life as well. Obviously, a great blessing in raising Jesus and a wonderful eternal heritage and being the womb and the woman that God would use to uh, give birth to and then raise his uh, only begotten son. But then on the other hand, the pain and the heartache that Mary would experience. She was actually present there, John records for us, at the death of Jesus, at the cross of Christ. And so great heartache and great difficulty is a result of being this favored one uh, of the Lord. Now Gabriel in verse 31 moves on from referring to her, her as favored and says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary here receives this promise, uh, and you know that she's going to have a son, and that his name would be the name Jesus. Now, uh, the Hebrew name for this would be Jehoshua or Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. And what a perfect name for Jesus, uh, that he would be similar to the figure in the Old Testament named Joshua, who brought the people of Israel into the promised land. He delivered them. He saved them. He brought them out of their wilderness wandering and into the promised land. And Jesus here does the same thing. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel spoke to Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and said, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so the saving ministry of Jesus, and of course primarily saving us from spiritual death, saving us from sin, saving us from bondage, but primarily, as we learn there in Matthew 1, verse 21, save his people from their sins. Now, he would also be referred to not only with his name, Jesus, in verse 31, but verse 32, he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In other words, the news to Mary's heart was he will be referred to as the Son of God. And of course, this is the claim that got Jesus into so much trouble with the religious leaders uh, of the day. Uh, there was one moment where Jesus healed a man in John chapter 5, and the problem with the healing that Jesus conducted, according to the religious leaders, is that Jesus had healed this man on the day of the Sabbath, a day that was supposed to be a day of rest. And they'd taken that commission so far as to say that you could not perform a good work on uh, the Sabbath day. They had clearly taken a beautiful day that God had made for the blessing of mankind and had turned it into a curse from God. You can't even do a good work for your fellow man on the Sabbath day, including a miraculous good work of healing. Now, in John chapter 5, it's very interesting because when they came to argue with Jesus about his healing powers on the Sabbath day, he didn't use some of the other arguments that he used in other portions of other Gospels. Now, in John chapter 5, his argument was very simple. He basically said, since my father 
has been working every day until now. You know, it's clear that my father has been holding together the universe every day until now. I figured that it would be good for me to also be working every single day. And it says in John 5 verse 18 that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John 5 verse 18. And so here we're discovering now that this Jesus who would be born from the womb of Mary, he would be the eternal son of God. And we'll see that uh, truth reinforced here in the coming verses. Now, Mary responded to Gabriel in verse 34, uh, said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, Mary at this point does not appear to be doubting the power of God. You remember Zechariah there in our first study in Luke, you know, when he heard Gabriel say to him, you'll have a child, you and your wife, Elizabeth, even in your old age. Zechariah's response was that of unbelief. And uh, he says, you know, how can this happen? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. This isn't a possibility. And Gabriel said, you know, it is going to happen, uh, but your mouth is going to be silenced due to your unbelief. Because you did not believe this thing that I spoke, you'll be unable to rejoice over it out loud. You won't be able to speak about this wonderful thing uh, that God is doing uh, in your midst. Clearly, Zechariah did not believe. But Mary here, when she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Later on in the text, when she appears before her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth praises her for being a woman who believed the word of the Lord. And so it seems like what's happening here with this question, how will this be since I am a virgin? It seems as if what Mary's actually doing is she's just saying, okay, I believe, but could you give me the specifics? Could you tell me what the process is? She knew about the birds and the bees. She knew what the normal process for having a child would be. And so she's here asking, okay, if we're not going to go about that process, then how will this be since I am a virgin? The second thing that's interesting about that question from Mary is that quite simply it clarifies for us, which should need no clarification, but it clarifies for us a promise that God had made in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. There God had said, the Lord will himself give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and she'll call his name uh, Emmanuel, which means God uh, with us. And so back there in Isaiah 7 verse 14, the question that some have asked is, is this a young woman or is this an actual literal virgin who has yet to know a man? Well, Mary's response simply was, how will this be since I am 
a virgin. She's not known a man. She understands the problem, so to speak, before the Lord. And so she's asking this question, making it very clear that she is yet to have a sexual relationship with any man on earth. She knows that this is a physical impossibility unless the Lord would intervene. And so the angel answered her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, obviously, Elizabeth had a different kind of conception. God was involved. However, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were also involved in the process. But here with Mary, Gabriel says, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and overshadow you. And the child that will be placed in your womb will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the beautiful line there in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. God. And Mary, of course, would experience the wonderful power of God uh, upon uh, her life. She would discover God doing the miraculous and the seemingly impossible uh, inside uh, of her life. And of course, in one smaller sense than Mary experienced it, we ourselves might say, yes, Lord, we want to experience your power. Nothing will be impossible uh, with God. Now, in response to all of this, in verse 38, Mary, and of course, just keeping in mind, this is a young woman. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice the submission in Mary's heart. She becomes the servant of the Lord. And of course, for her, this servanthood of the Lord would look like marriage to Joseph, a pregnancy from God, raising this child for the Lord, and going through the subsequent difficulties of watching her oldest son suffer persecution and difficulty. And so just a powerful thing. And of course, Mary, uh, it goes without saying, is a remarkable woman. She, of course, isn't uh, a co-redeemer with Jesus. She isn't biblically an intercessor for us. But that doesn't take away from the fact that she is an amazing woman. And the amazing part of her, it found here in verse 38, is simply her willingness to come under the hand of God and the plan of God for her life. To say, yes, Lord, I become your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And just the wonderful joy of living a life that is devoted to the Lord, given over to the Lord in its entirety. That's what Mary was all about. Psalm 116 verse 12, the psalmist asked a question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And in Psalm 116 verse 16, the answer goes like this. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant the son of your maidservant, you have loosed 
my bonds. And so how can I render to the Lord thanksgiving for all of the benefits that he's given to me? Well, I can say, Lord, I'm your servant. And that's exactly what Mary did. She laid down her life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable uh, to the Lord. Now, in those days, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town uh, in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so a lot happens here in this next little movement in Luke's gospel. First of all, Mary arises. She's heard the word now of her coming pregnancy. And she arises and quickly goes to a town in Judah to visit Zechariah. She's heard from the angel about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so she goes into the house of Zechariah and it says there in verse 40, greets Elizabeth. That, after all, is who she was actually there to see. And remember, Zechariah, he can't speak at this point. So perhaps he's over there on the side of the house or in the corner and uh, unable to speak to Mary. So Mary greets Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, when she hears the voice of Mary in verse 41, did you see what happened? The baby within her womb, Elizabeth's womb, leaped. And Elizabeth then, as a response, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, how often Luke repeats that phrase. These individual characters filled with the Holy Spirit. And she then, being full of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do in your life is cause you to speak. And she exclaimed with a loud voice to Mary and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Did you see that? The way that Elizabeth refers to not even yet showing, uh, you know, infant fetus inside of Mary's womb. She refers to that very early stage of pregnancy, that being inside of Mary as her Lord. She saw Jesus there. She saw the Christ. She saw her Lord. And she says to Mary, she says, you know, when you came and I heard the sound of your greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, this obviously is a beautiful and in one sense, supernatural thing that has occurred between the uh Yet still in the womb, the, uh, you know, a fetal Jesus and the fetal John, just the presence of the fetal Jesus early during that gestation process caused the fetal John uh, to rejoice. And of course, there's a little bit of prophetic, you know, element there because, uh, you know, if 
before they're even born, little John is celebrating the presence of Jesus, then we can only imagine what it would be like when at about 30 years of age, Jesus and John as full-grown men, albeit still young men, are conducting their ministry and John especially baptizing and preaching. When he sees the grown man Jesus, there's going to be a sense of awe and wonder. He'll say to his followers and those listening to him uh, that there comes one after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. There will be a reverence for Christ coming from the heart uh, of John. And oh, that we might have the appropriate amount of fear and reverence and joy at the presence of Jesus. And if John, you know, in his fetal state rejoiced over the presence of Jesus in this kind of way. Imagine when we see the Lord face to face, when we rejoice over him in his glorified state, imagine the waves of emotion that will come over our hearts. If John leapt for joy at this state, imagine the joy that we will experience eternally as we look upon Christ. And then did you notice there in verse 45 that Elizabeth said of Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Mary believed the word of God. Mary just simply heard what the Lord had said to her, rather impossible on one hand, but she believed God's promise for her life. I think this is often a challenge for the man or the woman of God to be fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised us. Uh, but this is what the Lord is looking for. Abraham was a man who believed the promise of God upon his life. Mary was a woman who believed the promise of God upon her life. And the Lord is well pleased with faith. He loves to hear and see that we have believed the word of the Lord uh, in our lives. He, he loves to see us believe what he says about us, what he says about himself, what he says about the future, to believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord was a thing worthy of rejoicing over from Elizabeth. Now, in verse 46, we have the Magnificat, uh, Basically, Mary, we like to picture this as her singing unto the Lord. It says in verse 46 that Mary said, but we like to imagine this as a song before the Lord, this worship of uh, God. And the thing about these next few verses is that within this song or this moment of rejoicing from Mary, you have 15 different references to the Old Testament. And that coming, of course, from a young woman. You know, this perhaps a teenager or maybe 20 years of age, right around there. This young woman, she's in love with the Lord. She's in love with his word and able to quote it in this song of response and praise. And of course, in one sense, she's filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading her in this moment. But I believe that she had rejoiced over God's word previously. It gives you an insight in one sense into how Jesus was raised. 
She would give her child the word of God. He would grow in wisdom and stature and knowledge. She would be involved even in, if you could say it like this, his spiritual development. And so as she was, it's clear to see that she was a woman of the word of God. And she starts out singing, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know, in those days, it's said that the young women in Israel hoped and longed and prayed that they would be the vessel that God would use to bring forth the Christ, to bring forth the Messiah. And rather than gloat in herself or glory in herself or rejoice over her great lot in life, in life she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She won't worship herself or celebrate herself. She will worship the Lord. And she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so she sings these beautiful things about God. And, and of course, you just have to notice how well she knew the Lord. She says, L listen to him. Look at who he is. He's, you know, my savior. And he's looked on my humble estate. All generations will call me blessed. She's just simply rejoicing over these great things that God has done inside of her life. His mercy his leadership from generation to generation, the need for us to fear him. But did you notice there in verse 47 that this beautiful woman named Mary, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She knew that she was a sinner who needed a Savior. You know, she was a beautiful person, a wonderful person, but she was the one who needed a mediator. She could not mediate. She needed to be saved herself. Just a beautiful word from Mary. She then says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now it's clear from Mary's song and also clear from the prophecy of the angel earlier on in the chapter, uh, in verse 31 and 32 and 33, that there was a forward-looking element amongst Gabriel and, uh, and within Mary's heart to the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies that had been made in the Old Testament. And Jesus would, according to Gabriel, be a descendant of David, and Mary and Joseph were both in that line. And David, of course, had, been, had received a promise from the Lord that uh, he would not lack a descendant to sit upon the throne for all of eternity. Verse 33, it's also clear that the Lord would be a descendant of Jacob, uh, a part of the nation of Israel. And then here, Mary rejoices 
that there would be a fulfillment of the promises that had been made uh, to uh, Abraham and to his offspring uh, forever. And so there is this rejoicing over the keeping of the covenant that God had made uh, with the people of Israel and that the Messiah has now arrived. And Mary, verse 56, remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So really what you have is Mary, she heard about John's pregnancy and in the sixth month of, uh, of uh, his, you know, his process or Elizabeth's pregnancy. She, Mary heard about her pregnancy uh, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And so for Mary to be there with Elizabeth for three months means that she was there during Elizabeth, an aged woman, during her final trimester. And I, I think that this is beautiful because without reading too much into the text, it seems as if what Mary is doing during those final three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy is that she's not there being served and kicking up her feet during her first trimester. No, she is serving her relative during her last trimester. Just indicative of the kind of home that Jesus would grow up in. Mary, just a beautiful servant, the servant of the Lord. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.